you love this country, you say you really care. But America is dying. I don't see no love, no. I wrote this little experience last summer, and I thought I'd share it with you tonight to prove a point. The point is keep your head on a swivel. Watch, look, and listen to your surroundings, no matter where you are. I went for a little hike in the woods today. The blue sky was dotted with white, puffy clouds, just inviting me to lie down in the grass full of flesh-eating insects and vampires so I could watch the pictures in the sky as the clouds drifted past. The wind was slightly blowing, and I could hear trees clapping their leaves in delight of the sun. Do not do it. It's a trap. I will not go into detail about the places that these insects unashamedly go underneath your clothing and try to munch. It is wrong. Wrong, I tell you. What these nasty little noceums can do to the human flesh in just a matter of seconds. And then I felt it. It did not bite, but it moved. And I'm not talking about an itty-bitty movement. I'm talking about a huge move of the grass directly in front of me. Not two feet, not one foot, but right underneath my boots, directly in front of me. I looked at it at the same time that it looked at me, and it was huge, I tell you, huge. You never saw anything move so fast in your life, either me or that snake. I was scrambling backwards as it was slithering forwards. It looked as if it wanted to eat me. Hercules, my ever so faithful and loving German Shepherd dog, wanted to chase a turtle. I'm thinking, really, dog? I'm about to die. And you want to chase a turtle? I was scrambling through the thickets and brush on my butt because my highly skilled ninja body was uncoordinated enough to stand up on uneven terrain in the bushes. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'll be digging thorns out of my jeans when I get back to the tiny home, that's for sure. <clears throat> Much to my surprise, the ten-foot, okay, maybe two, extra long, shiny black, thick snake was coming at me. And needless to say, I'm not amused at my ferocious, protective dog. And then I heard it. Something else was coming at me in the bushes. I'd had envisioned more snakes coming from me at every angle. I'm going to die. I just knew the snake was calling its cousins. In my defense, I did not take any weaponry out with me this time, or else that snake would have been dead, gone to the bottomless pit, it and all of its little slithering buddies. But it wasn't a snake that was coming through. I heard a deafening noise in my ear of a guinea. She was yelling as loud as she could for others, and before I knew it, there were four guinea fowl pouncing on this poor, defenseless, itty-bitty, black, shiny snake. It really was only about two feet long. They were having a very loud discussion about what to do with it as they were toying with it. This side, then that side, then its head, then its tail. Guinea fowl to the rescue. And they were holding nothing back. 
So I brushed off my dignity. And even though I knew that nobody else was around, I still looked to see if anyone had seen what just transpired. The thought did not cross my mind to grab my cell phone and take photos of this rescue until after I was on my foot moving quickly away from the scene. By the time I got my phone out of its case, the tape pulled off the camera and ready to film my rescuers, the snake was in the mouth of one of the guinea as the others were chasing her, and into the brush they went. So much for proof. In not learning my lesson, I decided to trudge onward into the clearing. The scenery is beautiful, so of that I do take photos. And of the motionless turtle that my fearless dog was chasing. And Hercules is now bored and is turning to me as if to say, Come on, Mom, let's go play. I see one of the paths that leads down to the wampus cat holler. Should I or should I not? I decided to leave that for another day. I've had enough adventure for one morning. Lesson for the day, never leave home without some kind of protection, even if it's around your own backyard. And I know this, yet I did not adhere to my own protocol. Lesson learned. No matter how much experience we have, no, how much, no matter how much training we have, there is no end to learning. You continually mentally prepare yourself. You continue to train with like-minded people. You continue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Around the Campfire with Kate, where we learn and teach skills daily on how to survive in a world as we know it today, you know, the new normal. Tonight, I'm going to discuss situational awareness and freedom isn't free. And this is a call-in show, so if you'd like to talk to me, make a comment, or just give your opinion, you can call in by using Skype through Public Streaming Network. Years from now, some of them may look back and ask themselves whether they've made the right choice, whether they've made the most of the opportunities they've been given. Together, we have the same mission. Over the course of your life, you will find that things are not always fair. You will find that things happen to you that you do not deserve and that are not always warranted. But you have to put your head down and fight, fight, fight. Never, ever, ever give up. Don't give in, don't back down, and never stop doing what you know is right. Nothing worth doing ever, ever, ever came easy. And the more righteous your fight, the more opposition that you will face. In your hearts are inscribed the values of service, sacrifice, and devotion. Now you must go forth into the world and turn your hopes and dreams into action. America has always been the land of dreams because America is a nation of true believers. When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, they prayed. When the founders wrote the Declaration of Independence, they invoked our Creator four times. Because in America, we don't worship government, 
we worship God. It is why our currency proudly declares, in God we trust. And it's why we proudly proclaim that we are one nation under God. The story of America is the story of an adventure that began with deep faith, big dreams, and humble beginnings. The next generation of American leaders never, ever give up. There'll be times in your life you'll want to quit, never quit. Never stop fighting for what you believe in and for the people who care about you. Carry yourself with dignity and pride. Demand the best from yourself. The more people tell you it's not possible, that it can't be done, the more you should be absolutely determined to prove them wrong. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. The more that a broken system tells you that you're wrong, the more certain you should be that you must keep pushing ahead. You must keep pushing forward. And always have the courage to be yourself. America is better when people put their faith into action. Pray to God and follow his teachings. Today, each of you begins a new chapter as well. When your story goes from here, it will be defined by your vision, your perseverance, and your grit. You will build a future where we have the courage to chase our dreams no matter what the cynics and the doubters have to say. You will have the confidence to speak the hopes in your hearts and to express the love that stirs your souls. As long as you have pride in your beliefs, courage in your convictions, and faith in God, then you will not fail. As long as America remains true to its values, loyal to its citizens, and devoted to its creator, then our best days are yet to come. God bless the class of 2017. May God bless the United States of America. And I just want to let you know that God blesses you. And I want to just say you are special in every way. God bless you and God bless America. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
live. This broadcast will introduce a number of techniques to detect if someone's conducting surveillance on you. Before we get started, I want to make it clear that my knowledge and experience in this comes from the private sector and not from any clandestine government work. And some of what I'm going to talk about in applying covert field craft in your daily life and how to detect if you're under surveillance is also by Amy Tobin. Though the principles and techniques I'll be discussing can be pretty effective across the board, I'm not trying to teach anyone how to detect government sector surveillance teams. And since my own experience involves non-vehicular surveillance detection, this will be a focus in this broadcast. The techniques I'll be presenting here have been successfully tested during training and successfully applied in actual real-life situations. So if you want to detect surveillance covertly, which doesn't always have to be the case, you'll want to avoid a situation where you're constantly looking behind you or otherwise have your head on a swivel when you're out and about. The way to avoid this is to narrowing down the areas you'll be paying attention to and to figure out what it is you should be looking for. And the short answer is that it depends on where you happen to be and whether you're static or mobile. If you're static, then there's a good chance that surveillance on you is also going to be static. So let's take the two most likely static locations where someone might be able to find you, your home and your workplace. These are very important because if you're being deliberately targeted, it's a safe bet to assume that you'll be found at these two locations on a regular or even a routine basis. In order to figure out where surveillance might be, what you'll want to do is put yourself in the shoes of a potential surveillance and try to figure out where you would be in order to covertly observe, say, the front door or the driveway to your residence and the main entrance or parking lot entrance to your workplace. Don't just theorize about this. Go ahead and actually try it out in the field. Are there any conveniently located cafes, busy intersections, bus or train stations, park or city benches, you know, things like that, that can give you both a good view of the location and sufficient cover for an extended period of time? If so, those are probably the locations you'll want to narrow your attention to rather than try to cover the entire area. You'd also want to pay attention to the vehicles that are parked in the spots that could potentially give them a good view, which is especially important if the area does not have a good vantage point like the above mentioned. Then there's the mobile surveillance. Things become a bit more tricky since surveillance might also need to go mobile. When in motion, the surveillance will usually want to be somewhere behind the target and possibly behind and to the side. As a target moves and moves forward on a typical city sidewalk, we can imagine potential surveillance zones, one behind the target and one behind but on the opposite side of the street that will be dragged behind the target as it moves forward. One of the most challenging things about mobile surveillance is what the surveillance needs to do when the target inevitably stops, either for a short or a long period of time. This is because the dynamics switch from mobile to static and then probably back to mobile again. These transitional points 
present real challenges for a surveillance and therefore a detection opportunity for you. Since the surveillance has to quickly and unexpectedly figure out how to keep track of their target without displaying any signs of surprise, confusion, or nervousness. And now that we've started figuring out where to look, let's talk about what to look for. A surveillance is primarily detected by noticing correlations to the target. Since in this case, you yourself are the target, the challenge is to spot if someone is correlating to you, even though they're supposedly trying to do this behind you or at angles that are purposely outside your field of vision. If you don't want to reveal the fact that you're looking for surveillance, you're going to have to find ways to briefly glance at the above-mentioned surveillance vantage points, the static and the mobile ones, in order to detect if the same individual might be correlating to you in observation, movement, and or presence. In other words, you can see if someone is looking at you, moving and stopping when you move and stop, or simply present somehow in different locations you happen to be in over a period of time. And this is a bit tricky because most of the people who might be in a potential vantage points or walking behind you on the street are not trying to surveil you. What distinguishes a surveillant from any other person out there is their deliberate and consistent attempt to observe where you are and where you're going. The active correlations to you that a surveillant would have to do, therefore exhibit, especially over time and distance, are the most important indicators that can set surveillance apart from the rest of the people around you. And it's not always easy to spot these correlations. But with practice, you can definitely get better at it. Now, what the techniques that I'm about to give you are designed to detect some of the classic indicators of surveillance. But keep in mind that this will probably not work if surveillance is conducted on a very high government sector level or if you're being surveilled by a coordinated team of operatives. The good news is, is that you can practice these techniques anytime and anywhere you want, gradually getting better and more subtle at applying them. Let's hit the static surveillance detections first. Number one, when you're at your house, your place of work, a restaurant, bar, etc., try to find ways to look outside through windows, entrances, etc. Try to see if you can spot anyone in a vantage point or just lingering around outside who's paying close attention to the entrance and exit that you're probably going to use. And number two, as you exit, use natural head movements and peripheral vision to see if anyone takes note of your exit and is transitioning or preparing to transition from static to mobile, therefore correlating to your own transition. Let's move to mobile surveillance detection. One, as you move forward, try to find creative ways to take short glances at the area behind you and behind but on the other side of the street. A good way to do this is to periodically glance sideways, you know, at stores, cars, people, through glass windows to use as like a mirror and use peripheral vision to look behind you. In order to better hide the fact that you're doing this, try to make it visually 
obvious that you're interested in what's next to you rather than what's behind you. Make it look like you're interested in what's in a store window. Check out a flashy car or an attractive person that you walk by. Try not to exaggerate these movements or look sideways too much. Keep it as nice and natural as you can. All you need are short glances from time to time. Number two, use crosswalks, traffic lights, or other common reasons for short stops to naturally look around and therefore get an even better peripheral view of what's behind you. Number three, find legitimate-looking reasons to cross to the other side of the street that you're walking on. The 90-degree turn that you'll be making puts the area that was behind you at a 90-degree angle to you, which you can more easily and subtly cover with peripheral vision when you cross a street or wait to cross. Number four, use short stops to look at store windows, to wait for a walk signal, to check your phone, you know, things like that, to try to notice if anyone behind you has also abruptly transitioned from mobile to static, therefore correlating to your movements. Number five, use longer stops. You know, walk into a store or a cafe to quickly look out the front window or the door to see if anyone outside transitions from mobile to static. If anyone is observing the location that you just walked into, as I walk past in the direction you were going, or if anyone walks in after you, then repeat the two steps mentioned in the static surveillance detection that we just talked about. Number six, use little fakes to see if you can expose and then detect surveillance indicators. Keep it simple and subtle. Try doing things like, excuse me, walk past a store with a front window, then stop and turn around and go back into the store. Or gather up your things when you sit at a cafe, get up as if you're ready to leave, but then go and order something at the counter or go to the restroom before returning to your table or even to a different table. There are, of course, uh, many other actions that you can perform. And the point of all of them is to do something that would be hard for an observer to anticipate and therefore more likely to cause less skilled surveillance to make a classic mistake. And these mistakes usually take the form of nervous shuffling, doubt takes, uncomfortable shifts from static to mobile, and then back to static, which create opportunities for you to spot the correlations. A surveillance will always correlate to their target. And the question is how well they'll be able to hide it. And actions like these can help flush correlations out in the open. So let's hit some tricky tricks. Many people like Hollywood-type ideas of using reflective surfaces, peepholes, or gadgets to either surveil others of spot if you're being surveilled yourself. I'm not a big fan of using those things. I'm not saying that it's impossible to spot someone behind you by looking at a reflective surface, but you probably won't do well if you over-depend on such tactics, like staring into a window or rather at what it's reflecting or using a blank screen of a laptop or cell phone to reflect what's behind you is more noticeable than you might think. The same problem occurs when you go for the cliché moves like purposely dropping something in order to look around when picking it up or stopping to tie shoelaces that are already tied. 
a surveillance detection route or an SDR is a predetermined route that you can plan in advance, which is designed to subtly expose hostile surveillance. It basically incorporates all of the above mentioned tactics in one planned sequence by carefully selecting a route that should lure surveillance into following you. A typical route needs to start at a logical location where you're expected to be found, like your workplace. The routine shouldn't be one that you ordinarily take because if your surveillance already knows where you're going, they won't need to follow you. They could just wait for you there. So conversely, don't make this route too strange because the surveillance might not be tempted to follow you, or worse, might suspect it's a trap. And make sure the route has both short and long stops at predetermined locations where you already know what to look for and where to look for them. This will increase your probability of covertly detecting surveillance if it's present. Though some of the wording in this broadcast might seem instructional, please keep in mind that no article or broadcast or book can actually teach people how to conduct surveillance or surveillance detection. Many people might find it surprising but much of the field craft that goes into such things as surveillance detection and special protection operations, even some of the sexier stuff, can be applied in your own life as well. For example, the three-part article series about circles of security in Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3, Amy Tobin wrote a while back, can be applied in your own home and can be principles of surveillance mapping that he explains and his recommendations on security camera placements, which we've talked about in previous broadcasts. The surveillance detection and surveillance evasion principles that we've talked about can be applied to you and your loved ones. The inductive observation skills that I have often talked about can be applied anytime, anywhere. It's all a question of which assets or people, property, information, reputations and your valuables that you care about and how you can better protect them. In essence, this is all protective strategies and what they're based on. So why not take some of that wisdom and apply it to the assets of you, yourself, hold most dear. The lessons shared in these broadcasts and in the book Surveillance Zone by um, Amy Tobin are meant to raise your awareness and help you improve your own security. Now, with that said, I'm not suggest, suggesting that you start living your life in some paranoid security bubble. I certainly don't live my life that way. Knowing about the tactics used in covert operations doesn't mean you have to automatically implement them. But expanding your knowledge and raising your consciousness can help make you more informed decisions about your own security. For example, there's a reason why homes with burglar alarm stickers on their doors tend to have lower break-in rates. It's because hostile surveillance tend to scratch them off. Their potential target lists in favor of houses that seem easier. That's a good idea to put stickers on your door. There's also a reason why you tend to find more vehicle break-ins where cars are parked in front of walls or large bushes rather than in front of private homes. These are areas where a hostile surveillance can operate with a lower risk of being detected. So it's a good idea to avoid parking your car overnight in front of a wall, a bush, or an empty lot. So likewise, there's a reason why 
two personal friends of mine on two separate occasions had the trunks of their cars broken into, each losing very valuable items. It appeared to them as a complete mystery. They didn't leave their cars parked for long. No other vehicles around had been broken into, and there was no way for the criminals to look into the trunks of the cars to see that a valuable item was placed there. So how could the thieves have known which trunks to break into? The answer, of course, is that both of my friends had been covertly surveilled while they placed the expensive items in the trunks of their cars. Since they both hid these items after arriving in the area, it wasn't luck. It was hostile surveillance that led the thieves to those specific vehicles. And incidentally, if you must store something in the trunk of your car, put it in before you leave your initial location, not after you've already parked at your destination. There's also a reason why stalkers usually start by following their victims on social media, then close in on their victim's residence and workplace, and then begin following them to see where they go from there. There's a classic hostile planning process in which the hostile planner or stalker initially pulls their intel from readily available open sources before transitioning to static surveillance and then moving on to mobile surveillance. And I could keep going with lots more examples like these, but the underlying messages would be the same. Learn how to look at the world from different perspectives. Understand how places and people, including yourself, can appear to a potential hostile observer. And then change how you do things in order to shift the risk and the benefit balance that a hostile planner uses to assess you. I know this might sound like highly technical cloak and dagger kind of stuff, but the majority of the defensive maneuvers and tactics are almost laughably simple. And yet, just because they're simple doesn't mean everyone is born with innate knowledge about how to stay safe. Common sense is no longer common anymore, at least not to those who never really stop to think about it. Oh, but speaking of common, it's at this point that I often get one of those more predictable objections to educating people about surveillance, surveillance detection, and protective operations. Aren't I helping the bad guys by teaching them how to surveil? By having this broadcast, aren't I informing them of how security works and therefore how to bypass our protective efforts? No, the answer to the first question is that the bad guys don't usually need help when it comes to surveillance. They're the ones who already know how it works. And in my experience, it's the good guys who are mostly in the dark about it, since they've never had any reason to think about it or experience it. Not to degenerate my professional field, but it's not exactly rocket science. And according, acquiring the skills is mostly a matter of raising your consciousness and sensitivity and gaining some experience from it. Things that most bad guys have already done. And so now it's your turn to catch up. As for the second question, the answer is also no. Equipping a hostile planner with general knowledge about protective operations doesn't really help them bypass or evade security measures as long as the information isn't too specific. 
This is because general knowledge about the target doesn't eliminate the need for hostile planner to eventually show up in the area of the target. In order to collect more detailed information, it's at this point that we, as a security professional, can detour, detect, acknowledge, or investigate the potential hostile observer. One of the most empowering things to learn about crime and criminals is how relatively vulnerable they are during their planning and surveillance stages and how relatively simple it is to detect and detour them once you understand how things work. These vulnerabilities are inherent in the nature of crime and cannot simply be overcome or bypassed by knowing a bit more about security. Now again, the bad guys already know this since they're the ones who's experienced in balancing high-risk situation. The good guys, well, the good guys are the ones who need to catch up on what's going on around them. So at this point in time, I will take a break now for for station identification, I guess. We will return in a couple of minutes. Stream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Unleashed Jeremy Hansen, the most explosive pro-American podcast on the planet. Pro-MAGA, pro-Trump, pro-conservative. Come join the resistance. Fight for what really matters in America. 5 p.m. Central on UJHLive.com, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or Megabook.com. Come join the resistance and fight for America. Unleashed Jeremy Hansen. Come listen to the Bloviating Zeppelin's Berserk Bobcat Saloon Radio Show Tuesday and Thursday nights at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific for the best in late-night conservatarian wireless talk radio at shrmedia.com. Raised as a free-range child with dirt and freedom, BZ is broadcasting behind enemy lines in occupied California. Jump into our plush, sumptuous, palatial, and resplendent chat room at shrmedia.com. Now, with 18% more umbrage and 20% more bulbosity than previous shows, and with delicious Liberty Additives. Remember, BZ realizes that with great beard comes great responsibility. No chinchillas were harmed, embarrassed, or the focus of any sarcasm whatsoever in the making of this ad. 
Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel. And more. SupermanHomePage.com. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California Gold Rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Delshaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www. SecretsOfDelshaw.com to learn more. PSN Radio. Realism Radio for the masses. An atheist was seated next to a little girl on an airplane, and he turned to her and said, Do you want to talk? Flights go quicker if you strike up a conversation with your fellow passengers. The little girl, who had just started to read her book, replied to the total stranger, What would you like to talk about? Oh, I don't know, said the atheist. How about why there is no God, or no heaven or hell, or no life after death? As he smiled smugly. Okay, she said. Those could be interesting topics, but let me ask you a question first. A horse, a cow, and a deer all eat the same stuff, grass. Yet, a deer excretes little pellets, while a cow turns out a flat patty, but a horse produces clumps. Why do you suppose that? The atheist, visibly surprised by the little girl's intelligence, thinks about it and says, Hmm, I have no idea. To which the little girl replies, Do you really feel qualified to discuss God heaven and hell or life after death when you don't know shit. broadcast I've been asked what I would do with a million dollars well not even being a prophet I can tell you what you would do with a million dollars you would do with a million dollars exactly what you would do with a dime if you would hoard a dime you would hoard a million dollars. If you wasted a dime, you would waste a million dollars. If you share a dime, you would share a million dollars. And the cycle continues. 
you get the idea. I think a lot of young people look at their lives and I think that all they think they have is the dime and that their life isn't important. And they're waiting for God to give them a fortune. And they think that when I get my fortune, then I will respond to the call of God in my life. Well, what you are doing now is setting a direction for what you are going to be in 10 years from now. If you do not love your parents, you are not going to love anybody else. If you cannot love your brothers and sisters, you do not live with the illusion that someday you're going to find people who are better than they are. Because everyone's pretty ratty when you get down to the bottom of it. If you do not love your neighbors where you live, you're not going to love your neighbors just because you happen to move a thousand miles away. I think people often worry about what the will of God is. I say, well, we all know what the will of God is. God has come, gone to a lot of trouble, and a good many people have gone to a lot of trouble to write his will down in the scriptures so that we can know what he wants us to be. He wants us to love. He wants us to rejoice in him. He wants us to live lives that are um, flushed in glory. This is the will of God. You do that whether you live in North Dakota or whether you live in New York City. Whether you have a million dollars or a dime. That is the will of God. And then they say, well, what about, is God calling me into missions? Or is God calling me to the church? Or is God calling me to be a lawyer? Well, so that's a no for me. What is God specifically calling me to do? You know, that's between you and God. And God has it worked out already. You need to be God's person where you are right now. And if God wants you to just go somewhere like, say, Egypt, he'll provide ten jealous brothers that will give you a coat of many colors that will sell you into slavery, and then you'll end up in Egypt. God has a way of accomplishing his will in your life. Our job is to say yes to God in the place where we are right now, in the moment where we are right now. A lot of kids say, I don't know if I could give up the drugs or the habit that I have. A lot of people say that they don't think they can quit smoking or drinking or sexual behavior, whatever those habits are. I do not know the answers to your questions, but I do know this, that the only habits 
or moral laws or even the fleshly hang-ups has not been to quit them, but to just say, I'm not going to take it now. I'm not going to shoot up this minute. And this is the only minute that counts and that I have to get through this minute. Christ might come back tonight. I may wake up tomorrow and never have a struggle again. I will not worry about tomorrow because it may not ever happen, but I will do God's will here and now in this moment. When I can no longer do that, I know that God will provide an escape. My advice to people is to not worry whether you should go into missions not to worry about which group of people that you might have a rapport with or might have a meaningful work relationship amongst. Love love the people that you're with. Even though that song might not have intended to say this, there's some good advice in that. If you cannot be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Especially if we interpret love the way the Bible interprets to us. Especially if we say, if you cannot want the best, if you cannot be with the one that you want the best for, or want the best for, then want the best for the one that you're with. If you cannot be with the people that you are that you naturally enjoy, then learn to enjoy the people that you're stuck in to be in the midst of. So what is my calling? Oh, this may be cheating, but I will do a misquote from Frederick Buechner, who said, Our calling is that place where the world's greatest need and our greatest joy intercept. God has designed each of us with gifts, with personality, with character, unique to us alone. We're each different. We're one of a kind. We meet the world where there is a variety of needs and a variety of problems. And there's a place where we intercept that. There is a place where my greatest joy and the world's greatest needs meet. And that, Frederick Buechner was saying, is your calling. And I think that's a pretty good definition of my calling. Well, how do you know when God is calling you? Well, in my own life, I think that for years, I tried to avoid loneliness because it hurts to feel lonely. And it's okay to be lonely as long as you're free. Now I'm beginning to recognize that maybe that is 
what it feels like when God calls me and I do not listen. Maybe when God is calling, it hurts. And maybe when God is calling us, it feels, I don't know, it feels like an uncontrollable ache, a deepening pain. And for years in my own life, I tried to drown that pain. I've tried to avoid that pain. I've tried to fill that ache with all kinds of stuff and things. But I can look back on and see what was a great deal of stuff was destroying me. To listen to the call of God means to accept some of the emptiness that we have in our own lives. And rather than always trying to drown out the feelings of emptiness, instead of always trying to fill it with a lot of stuff, to allow that to be adorned to which we go to meet God. I would say, um, I would think that this is where moral purity begins to play a factor. Almost everything that corrupts us is something that we use to fill um, some kind of ache, some kind of emptiness. Moral purity might be nothing more than a call to accept the ache, to accept the emptiness, and to allow ourselves to go through it all to where God is calling us to go. The joy of Christian life is um, that those aches, those needs, that emptiness that we are going to encounter because we're all human um, is ultimately met in Christ. And everything that we try to fill it with that is not Christ We'll never really fill it. So we're constantly connected to some kind of lifeline, for lack of a better word, when we finally say, I will no longer fill my life with um, casual sexual encounters or I will no longer fill my life with the holes in my life. In other words, with... um, some kind of manipulative behavior or when I will no longer fill the holes with drunkenness or with being high or being constantly saturated with sensationalism. When we finally say no to those things, when we pull that lifeline, it's a very scary thing. And we think, will I ever stop hurting? My answer is to stop worrying about hurting. Realize that that now is how badly God wants you and the hurt that you're feeling. That emptiness, maybe, that is the way it feels when you are called by God and do not listen.
So do not try to fill that ache. Do not try to fill that emptiness. Do not try to quiet it. But ask God to give you the courage to face it and to walk through it with him. Because when we connect with God, uh, well, I don't think it means that the emptiness goes away and it's always gone. But it frees us from these, um, these kinds of IV needles that keep us bound up in some kind of emotional hospital where we cannot really live free and we wander wildly trying to seek answers. When we find God, we are freed. We are made. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's a wonderful thing to not be dependent on alcohol, to not be dependent on people, to not be dependent on sensationalism, on drugs, on all those kinds of things. I know it's a wonderful thing to live in silence. It's a wonderful thing to live in unpleasantness and still have joy. Joy does not come from substances. Joy comes from God. We're created to love God and only when we experience that love are we really free. Anything that would impede that love, anything that would block our own awareness of our need for that, it binds us up. And that is why I think moral purity is an important thing. You want to get yourself away from those things that would impede you from freedom. You see, freedom's never free. Standing on a hillside where the river meets the sea, white crosses without number line the field of peace. And each one a silent witness, staring back at me. Every cross a story of another place and time, where young men thought it worthy to give their life for mine, and for the sake of honor, left their dreams behind. And for the price they paid, I am forever in their debt, because I will not forget. It is another hillside outside the city gates. That battle lines are drawn as soldiers took their place. The father watched in silence as a cross was raised. With freedom drawing closer, he took his final breath. He drank our cup of guilt and took the sting from death. Heaven's finest soldier clothed in human flesh and for the price he paid, I am forever in his debt. The cross will never die because I will not forget. I will stand 
and I will hold my head up high. I will dedicate my life to the glory of the one who had to die. And I will live. I will live what I believe, if for no one else but me, to remember that freedom is never free. I will walk free. I will stay free. I will live free. I will die free. May this Resurrection Day this coming Sunday be filled with freedom. This ends the broadcast for me tonight. Thank you all for joining me around the campfire. Remember, train hard, train smart to survive, thrive, and stay alive. This is Kate, signing off until next time. You say you love this country, you say you really care, but America is dying.